God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, your word that is truth in our life. May it mold us and shape us to be the people that you have called us to be, the people that you have created us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen. C.S. Lewis um, is the author and widely of the widely read children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia Chronicles, as well as many other novels and books on issues surrounding Christian faith. A movie came out a couple of years ago called Shadowlands and tells of Lewis's story, focusing in particular on his relationship with his wife, Joy Gresham. Gresham and Lewis met while Lewis was a professor at Oxford University. And after Joy is diagnosed with cancer, the couple marry. The movie invites us to witness their love, their pain, their grief, their struggles with faith and God. And eventually, Joy dies. At one point uh, in the movie, Lewis has a conversation with a friend about some good news about Joy's health and about Lewis's prayers. What news? Uh, good news, I think, Harry. Yes, good news. Very glad, Jack. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you. Christopher can scoff, but I know how hard you've been praying. Huh? Now God is answering your prayer. That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because, I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. In today's scripture, we, uh, we see Jesus in the Gospel of Luke right after he has this conversation with the Pharisee in the previous chapter. And the question was asked by the Pharisee when Jesus thought the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus' answer was one that I don't think anyone expected. He said, it's not about when the kingdom will come, but will you be prepared? And Jesus' example of Noah and how everyone was just doing their normal thing and living their normal everyday life, and then the flood came. Jesus says they weren't prepared. And then Jesus uses the example of Lot when people were carrying on and drinking and having a great time and doing business as usual right up to the day that Lot was commanded to walk out of Sodom and a firestorm swept down and destroyed everything and everyone. Jesus said, the people weren't prepared. And for Jesus, that was a point. We're so worried in our lives to just live our life, just business the business and the busyness of our life, that we lose focus on the one whom our life is supposed to be focused on. That's Jesus. So Jesus responds with telling them a parable. And this is the, one, of only, one of the only parables that Jesus actually interprets the parable for us. Usually, you know, we are left to our own devices to figure out what Jesus is talking about. But this is the one, one of the parables, that he actually explains it for us before he even tells the parable. He says this. He says, I'm telling you the parable because people need to pray always and not lose heart. Then he begins, he says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. 
And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, he refused. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me down by continually coming. So Jesus begins the story with two characters. The first one is the judge. The judge. It says, Jesus says two things about the judge. He says he neither feared God nor had respect for people. And so what can we take about Jesus' description of the judge is that the judge, as Eugene Peterson describes him, never gave God a thought and never cared nothing for people. And with these two marks of the judge, they were obstacles for helping this widow. First, he never, he never gave God a thought. He didn't believe in God and probably thought of himself as the ultimate power and the last word and is therefore not prone to help her. And the second mark of the judge was that he cared nothing for people. The widow was unknown to him and he had no interest in helping her or helping anyone. And so we have the second character, the widow. We need to understand that in this time of biblical history, women were regarded in matters of law very differently than men. Women rarely appeared in a court of law. And because this woman was a widow, she is more vulnerable and in distress, which causes her to seek protection from the judge. She says, grant me justice from my opponent. That sounds a little weird, grant me justice for my opponent, but in other translations, this is the way it's described. Give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. Give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. Then the judge, who we know doesn't believe in God nor cares about people, doesn't want to even hear the widow's case or even do anything about it, but she keeps persisting, coming again and again after him pleading with him, badgering him to the point where he's not just annoyed, but he's worried that she's already caused him the, not just physical pain like a big headache or a pain in the butt, but that if she keeps on coming, he runs the risk of her publicly humiliating him. So the judge finally relents and gives the widow what she wants. I understand that. I think Darcy understands that too. We know exactly how the judge feels because we have kids. I have three of them. And there are some days that my kids want something sometime in their life. And some want it more than the other ones. And so they'll let me know. They say, Daddy, Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, Daddy, please. Daddy, can I have this, please? Daddy, I'll do anything for it. Daddy, Daddy, please. Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, I want, I want this, I want this. Do you hear me? I want this. Daddy! And they keep coming at you, never stopping, never relenting, until you reach that point and you say, yes! Yes, you can have whatever you want, whenever you want it. Just stop and get away from me. <laughs> and some of you have been there because you have kids. Maybe it's not the kids. Maybe some of you are there already. Wanting so much to be heard. Maybe you just want to be known. You want so much for the hurting to stop in your life. Or maybe the loneliness to end. 
Maybe you're just waiting for healing or just a sign that God is there and he hears your prayers. Or you just want God to answer your prayer that you've been praying for for years. I have this former youth, and he has a prayer like that. He came to know the Lord and follow the Lord in high school, and he was on fire for God. And so much so that he decided to go into ministry. And he, uh, when he was in high school, he, he came to me and he said, I, I would like, I'm praying for something and I want you to pray with me. And I said, sure, what is it? He said, I want my father to know the Lord and have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it sounds like a very simple prayer, but to him it was the only prayer that mattered because his mom had a relationship with God. And, and she prayed for him daily. But his dad, his dad didn't. His dad wasn't a believer. And he never went to church with them. And he never opened the Bible. And he didn't want anything to do with God or the church. And the only time that I saw him was at his home when I would go visit him and his family. And this was 27 years ago. And so I recently spoke to my former youth a few months ago, and I heard he was leaving his church, and I wanted to see how he was doing and see what he was going to do next and what his next steps was going to be. He said, I don't know. I have no idea. But what I do know is that I need to go home because I need to be close to mom and dad because dad is sick. And he said, I continue to pray for his faith every day. And in these last days, I just don't want to pray, just pray for him. I want to show him the love of God with the time that I have left with him. He didn't stop praying for his father. And he didn't stop praying for other things in his life that were just as important, but he continues to pray and continues to have faith and continues to live out his life for God. Prayer for him is automatic. You see, prayer of the faithful is powerful because the God whom we pray to, who we pray to is powerful. And Jesus is trying to teach us that God is not like the unjust judge who just hears the cries of the widow and his people and turns a deaf ear to what he hears. Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. But what we need to understand is that God hears our cries, and he hears our pain, he hears our distress, he hears our sorrow, and he hears our suffering, and the justice that he gives us as we cry out is the advocacy and protection from our adversary. That's God's justice. And what is our adversary? Did you know that we all have an adversary? We can call it whatever we want, but the adversary is fear. The adversary is worry. The adversary is sin that cripples us to the point of complacency or even stops us in our tracks from growing in our faith in God. This is why Jesus reminds us from the beginning of this parable that this is about the need to pray and to never lose heart, to never give up. And Jesus wants us to be persistent and tireless in our prayers. So in the last days when Christ returns, he will find people of prayer and people of faith. The Apostle Paul echoes Jesus' call to persistence in prayer. In Galatians 6, 9, 
Paul writes, so let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we reap at harvest time if we do not give up. In the second Corinthians chapter four, he writes, therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, in this life, we do not lose heart. Jesus' parable also cautions us not to expect immediate results. It is truth that we need to embrace that we are in this faith for the long haul. Because it's not just about praying for one thing, but it's praying for all things. We need to have a prayer-filled life. Prayers of things that we cry out uh, to God for. And prayer of the faithful hearing the leading of the Holy Spirit and guiding us to pray not just for ourselves, not just for our loved ones, but for everyone. What it really means is having a heart for God and having a heart for God around the clock, not only at church, not only on bended knee in prayer mode, and not only when we're in a sense of need, but all the time. It becomes a natural element of our being where we do not have to make a conscious effort. Pastor and Bible teacher Warren Worsby says, it becomes as much a part of living as breathing. Like I said, it's automatic. Friends, we do not stop praying just because we feel that God has answered our prayer on something we've been praying for. We don't stop praying because we've been praying for something for years and we feel that God still hasn't answered our prayers, so what's the use? And just like C.S. Lewis says in the movie, we should pray because we can't help ourselves. We pray because we're helpless. We pray because the need flows out of us all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes us. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And sometimes it's hard for us to pray because we've been praying for so long. Or it's something that just hurts, something that we just feel that we're in despair. But God, you are there with us. You are our advocate. You are giving us protection and justice. Protect us from the fear, protect us from the sin, protect us from the complacency which causes us to move further away from you. Draw us closer to you, God, that we might not only hear you, but live out our faith in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.